the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson. Bud Elliott joining us here in just a little bit. Thanks for watching live on youtube.com slash cover three and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like. Come and join us in the chat. Uh, Locks to get to. This is our college football playoff semifinals preview show. We have been holding your hands all the way through this insane bowl season. We will have more Bonanza for the rest of the New Year Six and the January 2nd games. All that coming up in a little bit after we get through our CFP previews. Uh, we're you know, matchups to wa- watch the big storylines, what we've got our eyes on, plus, of course, the best bets. Um, and it's too bad that Mr. Gotta Have Eight Wins, Mr. Too Many Bowls, is not able to join us today because I just want to take a second to celebrate an absolute banger of a bowl day that we had on Wednesday in college football. Uh, Duke takes care of business against UCF. That was a little bit sleepy, but then it is just an insane Liberty Bowl. Uh, an absolutely thrilling and doinkerific uh, <laughs> holiday bowl between Oregon and North Carolina. And then we also have Texas Tech, I mean, straight putting it on Ole Miss uh, here in the in the nightcap, in the very, very nightcap. Um you know, before we dive into these CFP previews, Tom, what, what were some of your highlights or lowlights from uh, fr- from yesterday's bowl action? Uh, I mean, you, you mentioned UCF Duke was sleepy. I felt like Arkansas kind of lost connection if you're playing somebody online. Like their, their internet went out about some point in the fourth quarter because it's like I think they just stopped playing because they thought the game was over. But I don't I don't like to use bowl games as complete and total kind of like this is how good this conference actually is. But we were saying all year about how like the Big 12 might not have the elite teams that the SEC does, but from top to bottom, it's a better league. I think that was evident yesterday in two of those games. Kansas coming back and forcing three overtimes against Arkansas, and then Texas Tech just whooping up on, remember that fraudulent top 10 team Ole Miss that everybody, everybody got mad at us about? What, they lose five in a row to finish the season now? Yes. I mean, <laughs> like, all right. Wi-Fi check. Sorry. Do you guys hear me okay? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I got you. Boom. Look at that. All right. Marriott got the, got their Wi-Fi working. This is this is a good thing here. I think it's fair to ask you if, if the SEC, I think we all agree, has been a really 
one of the worst SECs in our lifetime. I, th I think it's probably the third worst SEC year uh, since the merger or, or since the since they went to divisional play in 92. When did they go? 90, 92? Okay. Yeah. It's probably the third worst, I think. And there's two other years. I don't have them in front of me, but I, I did look this up when we had this argument a while ago. But Ole Miss, I think, is especially fraudulent. I mean, they like they beat a, a good Troy team, and that was the first game under Troy's new coach. They beat up on Georgia Tech when they were still under the old coach before they kind of started caring and playing hard this year. They got A&M when A&M was an absolute mess. Arkansas housed them, and that's clearly not a very good Arkansas team. Uh, they got Auburn when Auburn was really a mess. That was the, it was the first game that Cadillac coached, I think. Right. October fifteenth. So we are sitting yeah. right there in the uh, in in the crosshairs for when that change went down. Um, you know, obviously, like LSU, who that honestly, that LSU Ole Miss game kind of fooled me as to what LSU's offense was. Maybe think LSU's offense might be coming around and being and is kind of decent. And I think everything since has told us it's really not. Uh, they are one of the most fraudulent teams in the country to me this year. <laughs> that that new contract. Lane, you getting it done? I mean, was let's, let's go ahead and, and let's dive into uh, it's let's let's hit the the Peach Bowl first because it is number one Georgia, it's number four Ohio State. There's a lot of ways that I want to attack that. Uh, and my transition here is if the SEC stinks, should Georgia be concerned? Did you just like Georgia is excellent? Georgia has been excellent, and I say this like half kidding, but. Going into this game, is is there any where where is your level of uh, concern about Georgia, its path to get here, and specifically, and this is the actual matchup angle that I wanted to discuss, is Georgia's secondary ready for C.J. Stroud, Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Abuka, and this passing attack? Because the Oregon offense that Georgia absolutely choked the life out of hadn't really found its footing yet. Oregon finishes the season as one of the you know better offenses in the country, top 10, top 15, depending on what statistic that you use. Tennessee, one of the best passing attacks in the country. You know They choked the life out of that. Hendon Hookers, I mean, no passes. That The whole hypo offense is supposed to hit big plays. No pass plays greater than 28 yards in that game. The one interception time he threw it in the end zone was picked off by Keely Ringo. So those are a couple data points that a Georgia fan looks at and says, okay, we're good to go. But the rest of the schedule that Georgia has faced is nothing close to what they're going to face against the Buckeyes. So as we start to peel back the layers of this Peach Bowl matchup between Georgia and Ohio State, I want to ask, do you think this Georgia defense is, is ready uh, for what's coming with this Ohio State passing attack? I do. I mean, it's... Going back to the original point, Georgia is still the best team in the country. The SEC is not very good, but Georgia is still the best team in the country. This is a more difficult matchup than I think they would probably like. If you're Georgia and you're being honest, you'd have probably preferred TCU to Ohio State. And I don't think, you know, 100 percent. Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't say it publicly, but everybody knows that's the case. And so Ohio State is a tough matchup for the Bulldogs, because as you said, offensively, like this is a team with a whole hell of a lot. But what I come back to when I try to break this game down and I try to figure it out, Ohio State is not nearly as bad as I feel like the world has wanted to pretend since it lost to Michigan. It just lost to a very good team. But I go back to that game and I go back to last season, both the Michigan loss and the Oregon loss. And there's like C.J. Stroud is an incredible quarterback when things go as planned. When his read is there, when his pocket is clean, 
there's probably isn't a better quarterback in the country as far as delivering the ball on time, delivering the ball where it's supposed to be, and delivering the ball to the right receiver. But when he gets under pressure, the one thing about Stroud that is a concern that I know NFL scouts have is when things go off script, like you see, like Bryce Young at Alabama, they worry about his size and his frame and maybe his ability to withstand you know, the physical play of the NFL. But when the play breaks down, Bryce Young can scramble around and make things happen. He does not panic. C.J. Stroud, when he is pressured, panics. If it's not there where it's supposed to be and things are going off script, he struggles mightily. We saw it against Oregon and we saw it against Michigan twice. This is a Georgia team that defensively on the season, if you look at their overall numbers, they don't get a ton of pressure Compared to what you would think they would be at with the talent they have, they don't blitz a lot. They kind of just, you know, they bring their three or four guys, and then if they get it, they get it. But this is also defense, too. Like, situationally, as I've talked about with this team in recent weeks, they've taken games off. Let's be honest. Like, they have cruised against some opponents knowing that they were going to win easily. But when it came to their big games and they stepped it up, the defense gets more pressure. So for me, in this game, we could talk about Stroud. We could talk about the receivers. We should also probably talk about Trevian Henderson not playing. But for me, Ohio State's offensive line is the most important unit in this game because if they can't hold up against that Georgia front, we've seen what happens to Ohio State's offense when they're not blocking. It goes to crap really quick. I think to Tom's point, uh, just specifically here, Ohio State's tackles are very good. Right, mm-hmm. like both those guys will be playing in the NFL. We've talked about this for about a month or two now. Ohio State probably needs to land two tackles in the transfer portal because both their kids have a pretty good shot of going pro. Ohio State on the interior, though, is not as good, and that is where Georgia is very good defensively this year. In fact, like I don't know how many people in the chat can name Georgia's edge rushers. I mean, like you, know, you, you got Beal, you, you got Jones Jr. or you know Marvin Jones, obviously, but like. Ultimately, you have got to get Jalen Carter blocked. And Jalen Carter is probably the best defensive player in the country, with all due respect to Will Anderson. And I don't know how well Ohio State will do that. If Ohio State devotes extra resources to that, I'm interested to see some of Georgia's blitz packages, right? I'm not really sure how much edge pressure Georgia can get without blitzing. Now, against Tennessee, they were they brought a lot of blitzes. And they said, hey, like we'll, we'll see if you can hold up on the back end. That game kind of game scripted as well, extremely well mm-hmm. to Georgia. And I think some of the weather stuff probably helped. But Tennessee is not anywhere near as good as Georgia is, in my opinion. So I'm interested to see how well Ohio State can hold up on the interior against Jalen Carter. And then how many extra rushers that Georgia's defense will have to bring to get pressure. Because Tom is totally right. Like, there's a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL who play on script extremely well and don't play well when they're off script. And that's not like that's a knock on Stroud, but it's not a, a one that's going to prohibit him from going to the league. Not that we care about going to the league in a preview of the title game. Like it's not disqualifying for him to win this ball game or to play well, but it is something that Georgia's that's top of mind for them. Mm-hmm. Like, you got to get this guy off script. He's not very good throwing on the run. He's not really that much of a scrambler. He seems to want to hang out in the pocket. We got to make that pocket uncomfortable. This is the game where I think they miss, where they really miss, miss Jackson, honestly. Because I don't see anybody on Ohio State's offense who is that Jamison Williams type, who's that dude who's the absolute burner that scares you. Like Harrison Jr. is fast for his size, mm-hmm. right? And Agbuka is a nice after-the-catch guy. Who is your dude who's like, oh, damn it. Like, if he's on a safety, we are cooked. I don't know mm-hmm. that Ohio State has that guy right now. And maybe that makes, if you're Georgia's defense, you're a little bit less scared. 
Yeah, and like going back to the Stroud thing, like no quarterback likes being under pressure, but if you, it, most of them, they would prefer it coming from the outside because at least then they could step up in the pocket yeah. if there's room there. But if Jalen Carter is collapsing that from the middle, that's what quarterbacks hate the most because then there's no escape route. Yeah, the ability to see over the middle for those sweet, sweet Ohio State crossing routes when you've got somebody like Abuka moving across the field, if all of a sudden 88's in your face, you're not going to be able to get a clean pocket. You're not going to be able to dump that off. I'm I'm fascinated because to me, when I think about Ohio State's offense, and, and I did a lot of comparing it to Tennessee in, in some of my thoughts about this game, it is a lot more on some of the short shorter passing game than what Tennessee has and trying to let those guys go and make some plays. If Georgia is does decide to bring pressure, maybe you've got a chance to hit some explosives that way. But you you mentioned a great point. None of it comes together at all if you're getting blown up in the middle. And that's one of those things where if we see it happen early, then, I mean, night-night. Like we're this, we'll, we'll be ringing in the new year. We might fire up the instant reaction pod before the final gun of the game uh, if, if we start to see Ohio State unable uh, to block the interior pressure from Georgia's defensive front. All right, what about on the other side? Because we did not spend a lot of time. We, we acknowledge that Ohio State has a very, very good defense and it's a very, very talented defense, but I don't think we spent a lot of time either picking apart with criticism or holding up and celebrating Ohio State's defense as a truly elite unit. What does that matchup look like as they go up against Georgia, a team who offensively has been very, very productive and, and very successful this season? It's it's often a little unique. Honestly, it's probably a strength of how versatile they are, the different ways that they use their running backs and the tight ends. You know, we spent a lot of time looking at the wide receiver position, and yet they still were able to uh, get a whole bunch of yards, be very successful, and put up a whole bunch of points. What does that matchup look like when the Bulldogs have the ball going up against Ohio State? Yeah, it, the interesting thing to me, or the thing I'm going to be looking for early, is what happened in the Michigan game with them getting burned so many times, bringing all that pressure. Does that cause them to be a bit more conservative in this game? And should they be more conservative defensively in this game? Because if you look at Georgia offensively, outside of Bowers, what is there in the passing game that you're really concerned about beating you deep? Like they haven't really shown the ability, whether it's at receiver or at quarterback, to do that to teams consistently. So if I'm Ohio State, I think if I'm Jim Knowles, I'm still going to be aggressive as hell because I do have a good defense and I do have a good pass rush. And if I'm going to beat this team, I'm probably going to need to force some turnovers and I'm probably going to have to force the issue and put Stetson Bennett in the same situation that George is going to be trying to put C.J. Stroud in, where I think Bennett is better when things go off script. But I also think Bennett is capable of doing really dumb things when things go off script and making throws that he should not make. So it's going to be interesting to see if Ohio State is as aggressive defensively. They have it's they have the same issues in Georgia in that you do worry about their secondary when things when they have to cover for a while. You do feel like that is the weakness of the defense. But I have a little more faith in their defensive backs against Georgia's receiving core than I do in Georgia's defensive backs against Ohio State. So I do think that that is somewhat of an equalizer in this matchup. I agree with Tom on that. Um, I, I will say Georgia appears to be probably the healthiest that they've been all year at the receiver position. So I, I'm excited to see that. You know, we go back to last year, and last year doesn't really count as much as this year's sample set does. But 
you know, last year, one of the concerns with, with Stetson was his downfield accuracy, right? And I think if you're, and, and look, it's been better this year. Uh, ultimately, if you play that style, and I think you probably should, there is some chance that he doesn't connect on those deep balls, much like Hendon Hooker did not connect on those deep balls against Georgia earlier this year because they had some guys open and he missed them and they didn't have them open that often. But I think if you're Ohio State, you have to keep playing that hyper-aggressive style. You know, to me, Georgia does a lot of really interesting stuff schematically with their two tight end looks. Ohio State, like, can you play nickel against that? If not, you probably are going to have a lot of situations where you're having to match up with Bowers or Washington with a linebacker. I and mean, that's really tough. Like, how does Ohio State handle some of these compressed sets that they're, that they're going to throw at you? you know, Munkin does a really nice job with these chess pieces. I think you're going to see both these guys in the NFL probably drafted pretty highly, to be honest. Like, they're really special athletes and they're big dudes. Up front, Georgia is really good. Like, I mean, they lost McClendon. I assume he's going to play, maybe doesn't. Mim stepped in and was just as good. Broderick Jones at left tackle is really good. They're pretty damn good on the interior. They don't necessarily have that like first round back, but they got a lot of backs that'll that'll hit you pretty well. And it kind of comes down like how many points do you think that Georgia needs to win this ball game, right? I mean, if you, if you give Georgia thirty five, you feel really good, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, mm-hmm. the spread right now is sixty two. So, like, yeah. I mean, or excuse me, the over under sixty two. I I don't know that Ohio State is that athletic defensively. Ooh, but I'll push, they've. Uh, JT Tuimoloau is phenomenal. Yeah. And that's so like, I, when I think about uh, Ohio State's best win this season, it was in Happy Valley against Penn State. And JTT was a monster. Like, he just single handedly took that game over. He scored touchdowns himself. He had like, yeah, like fumble recovery, interception. Like, he was just all over the field doing everything. And like, can uh, Tuimoloau keep up with Brock Bowers? I don't know. Like, I'm I'm not going to be able to match that up specifically, but no, that, you cannot. That's a, I guarantee. That's you. a that's a freak. Like, I was thinking about Jack Sawyer. I was thinking he's about just more of an edge low. guy, though. You know what I'm saying? More like, of an edge, like, hundred like, percent. He's like, a defensive who, end. Who's their Deron Payne? Like, like who's their Christian Wilkins or Dexter Lawrence or um, who's their Jalen Carter? Just to use an example from this game, is like who makes Brock like like who makes the quarterback uncomfortable from the inside? Like, we think Jalen could probably do to Stroud. You know. I, I don't know. Nobody like, without blitzing. Yeah, and, and may, maybe that's the answer. Maybe, maybe you just bring it and they don't connect. And that's that certainly happens. Like, it's a single-game sample set, right? For 54 plays, Ohio State's defense played pretty damn well against Michigan. And for five extremely damaging plays, they did not. It's entirely possible that Ohio State doesn't give up quite as many explosives in this game and is able to shut Georgia down. Like, I don't think they will, but it's very possible. What about... Uh, it- yeah, we've we've been on this one for a little bit. I want to make sure we hit um, the Fiesta Bowl as well. You mentioned the the total. You mentioned the spread. What do we like? What's our best bet? I'm Georgia in the under. I just I think that the Ohio State's offense, like I, it goes back the last three games I've seen it against defenses that can do this to it. It has struggled. And until I see it able to overcome these kind of things, I just don't know how many points the Buckeyes are going to be able to score here. I think Georgia, I don't think it's going to be a blowout, but I do see a situation where in the fourth quarter, 
maybe the dam kind of bursts a little bit and Georgia's able to pull away, but I don't think it's going to be high scoring. I don't think it's going to be a tennis match, and I think that plays to Georgia's benefit because while I think that the Bulldogs can score a lot of points, I think we've also seen this is a team that we – We've seen it plenty of times. Once it gets a comfortable lead, it has absolutely no problem just kind of squatting on it. And with another game left to play afterwards, Georgia will have all the reason in the world to squat on it if it has to. So I like Georgia in the under, but it's I, I like the spread more than the total. I kind of like the total more. Um, with, with like I if I I don't think I'm going to bet the actual. Uh, the, the spread, I, I may play some like first quarter or like some alt stuff. If I see it out there, maybe they'll post that you know closer to game time. But I, I I'll probably play a little on under 62 and a half, under 63 type numbers. Um, I, I could see a game where, you know, it's like 28, 24 type thing. Like that's possible. I've game scripted this out over. I think Ooh, that it's, okay. yeah, I think that Georgia establishes an advantage early and like I can visualize CJ Stroud and these wide receivers tacking on a couple late touchdowns when the game is like on the verge of being garbage time, but you know, they're just going to continue to try to hit something fast. Maybe you start to get a little bit of softer coverage. And I am a hundred percent probably influenced and biased by what we saw in the sec championship game, but Kirby doesn't want to put too much on tape. Once he knows the game is won, they might go a little bit vanilla. And so mm-hmm. That's where I could see just the like Ryan Day, Ohio State. You know, there, there's a, this is a, a group whose pride is hurt, right? I mean, this this is like devastation. Vibes were bad. There were six days where things were horrendous. Then Utah takes down USC, and all of a sudden, you've got a second chance at this. I do think they are outmatched. I think Georgia is the much better team. I would take Georgia. I would lay the points, but I think that there's like almost an aesthetics play. Where if even if the game is in hand, you're going to see Ohio State continue to try to hit some big plays, and that's why I just think the talent level of our two 1,000 yard wide receivers, Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Buka, is just going to lead to some touchdowns that could take us over the total. So if it's if it's under 63, I lean more over with the idea that we get kind of a some some panic scores as we get late in the game uh, in a game that Georgia probably officially has in hand. It also like lart like. I mean, it's very correlated with who gets out first. Like you yep, said, yes. Georgia, Georgia can squat on it. But, you know, if if you like over, you probably like something like Ohio State first quarter money line, just to throw that out there, right? Like, like uh, you know, the, the Buckeyes having the lead, you know, first. Um, those things would make some sense to me. Also, like, I think you need to properly figure out, and I don't really have a great feel on this, which is why I'm not going heavy on this, what kind of tempos Georgia can play with? Because Georgia occasionally will break out the tempo. We, we think of Ohio State as the tempo team because they throw the ball around a lot. But Georgia likes to stay in their 12 personnel and play some tempo. So um, I'm curious how that goes. This is going to be a fun. I really – like this is the game, right, that we're excited mm-hmm. to watch. And it this may be for the national title. Like I still have Ohio State rated higher than Michigan. So, I mean, this is kind of – like to me, this is kind of the national title game. Mm. And we'll already know the results of TCU-Michigan. Mm-hmm. So if you want to talk about some, if you want to talk about some interesting energy in the atmosphere on New Year's Eve, let let Michigan beat TCU and let Ohio State be up ten nothing in the first quarter, and just just feel it, just feel it all over the college football world. That would be an incredible stuff. All right, we've been asking, and you have been delivering. 
So why don't you do me a favor? We got a lot of people watching. I can tell a bunch of y'all are off work. We're busting our asses. We're working every single day this week, but a lot of y'all are off work and I can tell because you're all hanging out watching. So everybody watching, do me a favor, smash that like button because we're going to give out some 30-day Paramount Plus free trials. And Tom, yes. our pre-show meeting, we came up with a number. Mm -hmm. Do you want to let the people know how many and why that many Paramount Plus 30-day free trials we're about to give out? Yeah, I was thinking that in honor of the Coach K curse and North Carolina blowing its Holiday Bowl lead late to Oregon last night, we could honor the greatest Tar Heel of all time, Michael Jordan, and give away 23 Paramount Plus subscriptions. So put your Twitter handles in the chat. Follow Cover 3 on Twitter. Make sure you're following us. And we will choose 23 of you to get a free 30-day trial to Paramount Plus. Tar Heel Tears means more Top Gun for you 23 Paramount Plus 30-day free trials. Smash that like button. Drop your Twitter handles in the chat. Make sure you're following the Cover 3 podcast. Again, uh, we appreciate it in advance. Well, coming up on the other side, we're going to turn our attention to the Fiesta Bowl between TCU and Michigan, plus our Bonanza best bets for the rest of the games on New Year's Eve and January 2nd. Next eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We will be out in uh, the Fiesta Bowl in Arizona, and that's where we will find TCU and Michigan. Michigan's second straight appearance in the college football playoff. TCU, first time ever uh, showing up in the college football playoff. So as we're breaking this uh, game down, Bud, what really stands out to you? You can take either side, uh, but from the matchup perspective, uh, what do you have your eyes on? What do you think is the most interesting in uh, the Fiesta Bowl? Yeah, so I, I want to start with, with you know, Michigan's offense and, and TCU's defense. Um, I, I have a ton of respect for Joe Gillespie, the, the coordinator of TCU. I thought it was a really good hire by Sonny Dykes. And if you talk to anybody who coaches in the American, they like to thank Coach Dykes for removing Joe Gillespie as Tulsa's defensive coordinator and bringing him uh, to Fort Worth because he's a really good DC. 
they run if they were a pitcher in baseball you would say they throw a lot of off speed a lot of junk and some different stuff that if you haven't faced it can can kind of mess you up right if you look at what they did at texas i mean they don't have a lot of special players on this tcu defense they're well coached they play together well i mean their nose guard's a true freshman right who's, who's played pretty well this year one of their best corners is, is a kid in, in, in newton they, they, they got from louisiana monroe but they did a nice job of creating sort of like falsities or falsehoods in texas's blocking scheme and all of a sudden texas thought they had a lane and then you know boom linebacker is coming free i don't know how well that's going to work against michigan because i think michigan is probably the best offensive line that they have seen all year and maybe the best offensive line they, they do see all year unless they beat michigan and they go play georgia and georgia's might be as good or better you know michigan is really well coached up front I am curious as to how much TCU can confuse Michigan. Michigan center Olowatimi, who they got as a transfer from UVA, is a really good player. And I think almost everybody on this line for Michigan is going to get drafted. So can you spit on – like, do you, to stay with the baseball forever. Can you spit on, on this stuff that's just falling out of the strike zone and then force TCU to kind of come, you know, throw, throw you pitches inside the strike zone? Can you get it blocked up enough up front? Because if you don't – have confusion up front, I think Michigan can block TCU. And then that's going to go into the part of the discussion here where, okay, if one-on-one we're not able to confuse them and they're able to move us physically, can we outnumber them? And if so, what is that going to do to J.J. McCarthy? Can McCarthy play well enough, especially from the pocket? Like, can we make him play quarterback? Because this, this playoff doesn't feature a lot of stud quarterbacks. McCarthy might turn into one. Stroud's probably the best one you have. Yeah. You know, I, I guess Stetson could get drafted, actually, which is possible. I mean, maybe like back yeah. half of the, of the round. Oh, no, um, I've already got him logged as a uh, governor or senator. No, and, no, and no. Duggan, that's, and Duggan's that's a one read guy. for the Patriots next week. <laughs> McCarthy has enough bad games, or just not bad games, just like games. It's like, okay, like that guy, is that guy going to carry you to a national title? Can he carry you to a playoff win? If TCU can do enough, and I think it's possible they actually can, by the way, because Edwards is not the same type of like vision runner as Quorum was. Mm. So, you know, like maybe they can get him seeing ghosts. Maybe they get him to bounce the ball a little earlier than Blake Quorum would, and not stay on his initial track. Maybe you get a, maybe you get Michigan behind the chains a little bit. You're able to to take them off their play action game some, and you force McCarthy to beat you. I think I think TCU on the outside can hold up against these guys. I'm just not sure if they can create enough confusion in Michigan's blocking scheme in the run game. Like, that's what I want to watch early. Is TCU have, have runners coming free? Not not running backs, runners on the defensive side Linebackers. coming free for these tackle flaws. Correct. Yeah. Exactly. Because if, if they don't, if Michigan's not confused, it's, all right, man, you're breaking stuff, ain't working today, you're having to throw 88, I'm going to hit that shit out of the park. I'm going to hit that out of the park. Excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm with, like, TCU's defense, it is a – good defense the problem is when you get to this point to this place the college football playoff the other three teams have elite defenses and a good defense usually isn't we've seen it in times like this when you get to the playoff the good defense is usually the ends up hurting you or killing you in the end because you don't get enough stops once you face another elite team and i do think it'll be interesting because i have enough respect for the horned frogs defense to think that they can give michigan some trouble problem is once Michigan figures it out, 
Will they have a counter? Will they be able to overpower that? Because like you said, but that's the best offensive line in the country. It's won the Joe Moore Award two years in a row. All five of those guys will probably be in the NFL. We've seen it against the Ohio State defensive front. If it was able to hold up against them, I have a feeling it will be able to hold up against TCU because it's not like Ohio State's just playing vanilla defenses. They were bringing all sorts of crazy blitzes against them in that game, and they just really couldn't get home often enough to have enough of an impact, and they got beat over the top doing it. The question is, offensively, can TCU move the ball enough against this Michigan defense to score? I think they can. I think they will have more success than most teams have had this season. Will they have enough? I don't know because I look at this matchup. First of all, TCU, this is just a fun stat. TCU has played in six one-score games this year. It's gone five and one in them. Obviously, the one loss was the Big 12 championship. The other three teams in this playoff combined have played three one-score games. Michigan's played two. Georgia's played one. Ohio State hasn't played in any. So TCU's been in more of them than any of these other teams combined. So that could, you could look at that as a sign of weakness, as in this team's not good enough because it's not able to pull away from others. But you can also look at the positive and say, well, this team also knows how to handle adversity. So if they jump out to a lead here and Michigan finds itself in trouble, a position that Michigan has not been in at any point this season, how does J.J. McCarthy react to that when he's in a situation out there where it's like, okay, kid, it's on you. You need to lead us on a touchdown drive right the hell now. They haven't been in a whole lot of those. They had a couple of them at the end of that Illinois game, and they did well. They drove down the field. They got the game-winning field goal with the help of an official. And then you know they ended up winning the game. But they haven't really faced a ton of adversity. So I think that is going to be an interesting thing to watch in this one. But at the same time, I come back. And I think Michigan, in a lot of ways, stylistically and philosophically, is similar to the Kansas State team that gave TCU so much trouble during the regular season because TCU beat the Wildcats in the regular season. But they got them down to their third-string quarterback before they were able to do so. Kansas State then comes back at full strength, beats them in the Big 12 championship. Michigan is a better team than Kansas State. It has more talent. It has a better offensive line. It has a better defense. So I look at those two games and I see how much TCU struggled in them. And it's hard for me to think the Horned Frogs can win this game. So I, I have to go Michigan here. I think that this is good. I think the Wolverines are going to win this game because I do. Like, I, I think Georgia is the best team in the country. I think Michigan's the second best team in the country. And I think we are destined for a Georgia-Michigan playoff rematch. You know who uh, kind of reminds me a little bit of TCU in the Big Ten? Like, not as talented and not as good, who? but Maryland. Uh, yeah. Like, I mean, they, they're both good. Like they're both sneakily good at corner. They don't have huge difference makers on the defensive interior. They do a lot with schematic confusion offensively. Like, I don't think anybody thinks that Duggan or, or, or Talia are big time NFL guys. They do have a lot of weapons on the outside offensive line wise. They're okay. They're not great necessarily. It's a lot of you know, kind of native spread stuff. And and Maryland actually gave Michigan a decent bit of trouble yeah. in that yeah. ball game, you know. And I, I mean, I'm, it's because I totally agree with Tom. Like I was trying to think, or what's what's the what's the flip on this? Like like who has who has Michigan played that is similar to TCU? Nobody really runs that three three five stack that Gillespie wants to run uh, in the Big Ten. So that it may take them a minute or two to see. And like TCU's also kind of changed how they've played it throughout the year. Like the way they played it against Kansas State and the way they played it against Texas is not the same stuff they were playing 
you know, in, in against Oklahoma State necessarily. Uh, so I don't know, like maybe this starts kind of slow. I, I could see. I'm really curious to see how much play action early Michigan tries to do with JJ. Like, and I think if you could trust him enough that he, he'd only pull the trigger if it's really there, you do it a lot. Because you got to think TCU is going to be loading up against the run because you cannot get game scripted out of this thing. I do not think TCU has a real ability to come from behind here. But they could play with the lead because TCU will go for the explosive kill shot and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Or does Michigan just say, hey, like, we're fine grinding this out. We're going to just run the ball 55 times and throw it 17 times. And, you know, we're, like, we're confident in the, when the dust settles, we will win the ballgame. And another thing to know. keep an eye on, too, like, all year, Michigan's been incredible in the second half of games. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if this game is kind of close for the first half. They get to the locker room at halftime. Michigan makes the adjustments it's been making all season long and then just kind of blows the doors off them in the second half. And TCU has two, which is inter- – like, yeah. I think both these teams are really well coached. Now, part of that is certain quarterbacks maybe got hurt during the game. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, so, in the Big 12 championship game, Kansas State, sent a ton of pressure. They were mm-hmm. like getting after Max Duggan. Does Michigan need to? Does Michigan have the personnel? The game, is is that something that Michigan's coaches are going to be able to maybe uh, take a lesson from and try to apply to their approach to try to slow Max Duggan in this offense? I wouldn't be surprised if we see Michigan a little more active as far as that's concerned because you know that's one thing like – Defensively, they've still been very good. But what they've been best at is just not letting you finish drives because they lost Aiden Hutchinson. They lost a Jabo from last year's team. And the pass rush, while it has been admirable, has not been nearly to the same level of the Michigan team we saw last year. But where they have been much better is, like I said, when teams get into scoring range, they get shut down. Like if you're happy at some point just to get away with a field goal because that seems to really be the only thing Michigan's willing to allow at that point. So. That, I think, is something I I don't know if you're going to see them bring a ton of blitzes because I think that's just not really what they do. They, they blitz some, but maybe. I mean, they've got if, good defensive linemen who will get sacks and tackles for loss because they're winning battles against their the, uh, the offensive line. But schematically, it doesn't seem like they're dialing up a bunch of pressure uh, as intentionally as maybe you could. Yeah, from what I've seen of Minter, I think that he's going to be more concerned about TCU's explosive play potential, and he's going to look—he's going to look to limit that. I mean, that's what he did against Ohio State. It's what he did against Penn State. I think that's probably what they end up doing in this game: try to make TCU hit a bunch of singles instead of home runs. That's what I think too. I mean, look, Duggan is a player I love watching, but he's a very collegey quarterback, right? I mean, like he is—he's not somebody who's good at going through progressions at all. Like they—they. They, of all the quarterbacks in this playoff, he's the guy you have to scheme it up for the most probably. And you could probably argue that Michigan should scheme it up more like for, for McCarthy a little more than they do. They seem to throw a lot of offense on him, although they don't actually throw the ball that often. So maybe that's their limiting factor there. But you know, Michigan runs a very, you know, very NFL style defense. Morris, I think up front, kids capable of getting pressure for them. I think mm-hmm. Mozzie Smith should do a good job for them in terms of compressing the pocket. And it would shock me if they blitz him some because, like, Saints drill, their, their, their nickel guy is actually a pretty damn good cover, dude. The number of screens that TCU runs, though, is interesting to me. And I wonder if they're going to be a little, little hesitant to blitz as much because 
TCU is so big play reliant. If you blitz that much, as you saw Michigan's offense do against Ohio State's defense, there is a chance that you hit pop these big plays. TCU is not a team that is a high success rate team. They do not put to, put drives together very well at all. I'm going to ask them to play left-handed, and left-handed for them is is sustaining drives. And uh, little, hey, <clears throat> shout out to uh, the Ion College Basketball Podcast, Matt and Gary. They're the absolute best uh, in that space. So I'm not going to do a whole trivia time, but this is a question. 16 college football playoff semifinals have been held since the format was introduced. Do you know how many have been decided by single digits? Oh, five at most. But you got to guess? Three. Three. Yeah, okay. 13 of 16 college football playoff semifinals have been decided by 10 points or more, and nine of them have been decided by 20 points or more. These games are not that close. It's fascinating. And so that, oh, and by the way, favorites uh, in the college football playoff in the last five years, seven and three against the spread, nine and one straight up. You know, you almost get the sense that with so many blowouts in the semis, you really only need two teams in a playoff. <laughs> so <clears throat> with that as context, or maybe you're going against it. Best bets for the Fiesta Bowl. Uh, what do we like? Tom, you already said you think Michigan wins. Probably take Michigan to cover. Yeah. Right? I, I, I like TC. TCU. is a very good team. TCU deserves to be here, but let's we make no bones of the fact that of the four teams in this playoff, TCU is the, I hate using the word weakest in this situation, but it is the weakest of the four. I think if either of these two games have blowout potential, this is the one with the biggest blowout potential. So I'm taking Michigan. Just from a, like a pure power rating standpoint. Michigan A game is probably a 30, right? TCU's A game is probably still like a 22, 23, maybe a 24. So I think if you assume you get the A game for both, I, I think you got to take Michigan. Total? Over. I Over? think Michigan, I don't think Michigan gets stopped very often. Michigan's been so like ruthlessly efficient all year they're just mean about it i've just got images of like olu oluatimi getting to the second level and just like putting a tcu linebacker into the ground i'm michigan i i'm not playing anything on the total but if i had to i'd probably play under um yeah I mean, just game script wise, if you like Michigan, I think you assume that they don't get down early. They're able to to run the ball, lean on it late. They'll play slow. Uh, takes away some of the play action stuff that the TCU wants to do. I, I tend to uh, I, I tend to lean under. Lean under there. All right. Keeping things going with, we know you've got those bowl pools and we know that you want to have action on games besides just the college football playoff semifinals. So as we continue our bowl nanza, we look at the Sugar Bowl, which an 11 a.m. local kick in New Orleans. Yuck. <laughs> Sugar Bowl should always be at night. Uh, mm -hmm. Alabama, Kansas State, Alabama favored by six and a half. Bryce Young playing, Will Anderson playing, over under 56. Uh, what's our best bet for this game? Did you guys, like, they had the Sugar Bowl press conference yesterday. 
People were asking Bill O'Brien questions about how much he's enjoyed his time as the offensive coordinator. Past tense. Like, yeah, they weren't saying so. They were saying it like, so this is your last game as the offensive coordinator. How have you enjoyed your time? Uh, Kansas State. <laughs> the thing is, like, Saban does not let his coordinators or assistants talk on the record. I mean, some of these right. guys will text, but, like, you can't really – like they wouldn't like you can't quote them on the record and there's no press conferences. So these guys have basically like, what are you asking? Like, hey, uh, like he's not going to trash whatever, whatever's going on there internally on the way out. You know, like we're going to be like, Hey, how, how hurt was Bryce really down the stretch? Probably not going to answer that. Like it, it's a weird situation to, to be in for these guys that especially if you get somebody who's leaving. Yeah. But like the, for the bulls, Saban cannot, Tell the coordinators don't talk. Like mm-hmm. that's actually mandated by the Bulls. Like same as like the open locker rooms after the game, right? Like that's it's you never get that in most college atmospheres in you know the, the Bulls in the playoff you do. I I think you gotta lay this. If these guys are playing, you gotta assume they're gonna play hard. Um power ratings wise, like this is definitely b- bigger than seven, assuming these guys play and play the whole time. So that's the thing. I don't think they're gonna play the whole time. <clears throat> I think they're gonna play a little bit and then we'll find them on the sidelines for a lot of the game. And I also think, like, Kansas State, you know they're going to come out trying to beat Alabama in this one. If you got them big insurance policies, which is the assumption, not the knowledge, but the assumption that I'm working on, like, that's the only way I'd play in this game is is if I was Bryce Young, is if you wrote me some insane insurance policy for one Mm -hmm. game, right? Do you think you – you probably got it for the full game. But I think Tom brings up an interesting angle. Like, would you rather bet first quarter or first half here if you think they're only going to play some? Yeah. I don't know. I think Kansas State's going to come out here on fire. I'm going to lay mean, it with Alabama. Is it, Mar- like, my, that, is it Martinez? Because, like, I really – if I'm betting Bama, I want Martinez. He's not as good as Howard. Right. Agree. I'm saying – because like, if you're Kansas State, wouldn't you love to finish your year and be able to say, yeah, we beat TCU and we beat Alabama. So we beat a playoff team and we beat the premier program in the country. So maybe we're not – you know, maybe we're the Big 12 powerhouse going forward. I, I do think we have to look at Kansas State as – with when the Big 12 is all realigned. Like, it's a very good team, very good you gotta, program. you got to go into them and just – no matter what has happened in terms of, like, who's come, who's left, who's graduated, who's moved on – I will assume it's a top five team. We can split hairs based on what's going on with everybody else, but this this has been a, a very very impressive, um, really the from the middle of last season all the way through this season. Uh, Chris Kleiman's done a fantastic job with that program. I think they are set up for success moving forward. Now, uh, Tom, I believe you mentioned that we we are almost done with uh, with bad weather. You know. I need it to be colder and windier in Nashville, Tennessee, than it's going to be when Iowa and Kentucky play. I need it to be like Iowa City, late October, you know, dark by 3 p.m. kind of weather. I don't think it's going to be. It's not going to be my heart. It's not going to be that uh, warm, but you know, it's it's definitely not going to be as cold as it could be. Iowa and Kentucky, Iowa favored by two, over under of 31. Under, uh, you you got to. I mean, also, Kentucky, Iowa, Kentucky doesn't have Will Levis. It doesn't have its two leading rushers. Iowa doesn't have either of its top two quarterbacks. Like these offenses stink with the starters. 
What are they going to be with their third and fourth stringers? I was also thinking about Kentucky's offensive line against Iowa's defensive front. Yeah, it's going to be this that game is going to be dramatic. terrible. Yeah. Over if I have to. No, yeah. don't do it. You're disgusting. Yeah. You are disgusting. Look, so kind of the same logic for Army Navy applies here, even though like like but even more in my favor because these offenses don't know each other all that well. They just happen to know that they suck. So when you have a spread that is this close and a really low total, if the game is actually competitive, overtime is a lot more likely than normal, and it has to be factored into the handicap. 13-13, 17-17, right? Like 10-10, 14-14. When you have a spread of two or three and a total this low, those are finals at the end of regulation are going to come up an awful lot of time because they're just not – if a close game with this low of a total – like, what possible scores can you have? I mean, safeties can screw it up, certainly, if you get the safeties. These teams are not going to go for two a lot, given how bad their offenses are. I think you got to factor that in. Like, And, you know, if you got a, if you got a local or, or if you got somebody that, you know, thinks they're they're pretty smart, uh, maybe they'll give you a little overtime prop on this. I'd, I'd consider throwing something at big odds there. What, like a 90-minute plus extra time for a play where it's like... Well, like it, in Super Bowl, you can bet, like, will the game go to overtime? I'm like, well, uh, we'll hang that. Okay. Not, not that we'll be able to hit under, but it won't penalize me if we go to overtime, which right. thoughts and prayers to anybody who took the live under in the Liberty Bowl. <sighs> that game was over. We don't, we don't know anybody who did that, right? Arkansas... No was going to win that game by 15 points. It's not a fumble. The ground it's not falls. a fumble. It's not a fumble. All right. Never, I, uh, 84 and a half, I had it. 84 and a half. Cruising. And then I will Arkansas say, was like, <laughs> look, I get the logic for the, for the live bet. And I, I don't necessarily disagree with it, but Arkansas wasn't stopping Kansas except when Kansas just threw like ridiculous picks deep in Arkansas territory two or three times in the first half. So I, I don't know. Like I, I like second no, half over clearly that was back. not the right side. They were stopping them on first and second down. It That's was true. allowing Kansas to convert every single third and fourth down that they took a crack at mm-hmm. that really hurt them. This is fair. Well, also what was I mean, the final score after 60 minutes. <laughs> it was the right was play. It. The under 84 and a half was the right play. Just because you got lucky with the overtime, don't go telling me I made the wrong play. <clears throat> All right. Uh, on, remember, January 1st is a Sunday. That will be an NFL day. College football returns into the spotlight on Monday, January 2nd. It begins at noon Eastern time uh, with the ReliQuest Bowl. ReliQuest for all of your corporate security software needs. ReliQuest. Uh, it's Mississippi State and Illinois. It's a lot going on here, obviously. Uh, Mississippi State, we've seen a lot of very cool uh, tributes to Mike Leach from other teams all across the country. Texas Tech, they, you know, ran, took a delay of game in the air raid formation to for their first offensive play. Uh, Lane Kiffin, of course, Ole Miss, he declined it. There was a, a helmet decal for Ole Miss. A lot of uh, helmet decals, some shirts that we've seen. But this is the actual Mississippi State football team that Mike Leach was the head coach of when they won the Egg Bowl in the final game of the regular season. They are playing in this game. Zach Arnett is the head coach, not just for the bowl game, but moving forward for 2023 and beyond. 
and Mississippi State is favored by one. I have no idea how to make a best bet or handicap this game because of everything that's going on. Illinois. Illinois. There. There's your idea. All right. That's all. So I, I'm really glad we have Tom on this episode, although I really should say, like, I mean, Tom's been on every episode, so he's been, he, he's, he's been car- carrying the load for me here on bowl games. Um, who do we care is out for Illinois? Like, I'm, 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 like they got a couple guys out who definitely matter, right? Witherspoon is out. out. Sidney Brown is out. Those are important. Chase Brown is out, which I, I, I think you're much happier if he plays, but I'm not really worried about Illinois being able to run the ball with or without Chase Brown. Like, Chase Brown's a very good running back, but he's not like – this isn't an explosive rushing offense to begin with. I feel like it's mostly kind of a, a success, like successful play rushing attack. You know what I mean? So I don't know how big of an impact that has. I just – I don't know. It's like, how do you handicap a team whose coach died? Yeah. You can't. Yeah. I, I will say that they got a couple dudes to come. I, I was looking at the Mississippi State stuff earlier. A couple of their guys who everybody thought was going to opt out decided to come back and play on the defensive side of the ball. But Rara Thomas is already transferred to Georgia, so he's, mm-hmm. he ain't playing. That's a pretty big thing for them, right? Um, I don't know. I'm 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 curious on that. Under. I, I will say, like we started the show talking about how the middle of the SEC is kind of, you know, like Chip Chip before the show started said the SEC stands for southeastern cheeks. That's so, true. <laughs> like, if we're gonna stick to that, Illinois. Illinois, nothing but fading the SEC from here on out. Everything that I've seen. It's a clown is, conference. Just southeastern cheeks poverty conference. Is Quan Martin playing? I believe so. I think so far the only opt-outs are Sidney Brown, Devon Witherspoon, and Chase Brown. And Luke Ford? He is not going to play. Not playing, but he's a okay. blocking tight end. I'm not that concerned about it. He's uh, actually uh, studying to, for his insurance exam right now. He's working on a Series 6. You know, He's, he's going to be out there making the deals. I mean, he's 27, right? Luke Ford? Yeah, hasn't no, like Luke 22. Ford been in college football for like seven no. years? Didn't he transfer from Georgia and the NCAA screwed him on, on like a waiver yes. that like definitely yes. should, have been, should have been granted? Yes. Yeah, that, yes. that was the, the hundred mile rule because yeah. his, his grandfather lived like 103 miles away from campus instead of 100. So, nope, no waiver for you. Remember those days? No, well, thank goodness we got the uh, the one time transfer rule. All right. Uh, the New Year Six rolls on with the Cotton Bowl between Tulane and USC. <clears throat> USC favored by two points. Over under of 62. Uh, my, oh, my, the vibes for the wave are fantastic. Um, Michael Pratt, staying. Transfer portal additions coming in for 2023. Willie Fritz, you got a, a, a championship squad that you are leading into the Cotton Bowl against a program like USC. I bet Tulane's fans are going to be able to roll deep here and uh, create quite a special environment for that program. So, USC, who was sitting in the number four spot at kickoff for their conference championship game the last time they were out, does USC want to be here? Kind of feels like the operative beginning of me trying to predict whether USC is going to win this game and cover this number. I do simply because if you're USC and you just, you know, the way that your regular season ended, you cost yourself a playoff berth. Do you really want to add losing to Tulane to your resume? Like, 
in in the Cotton Bowl. I feel like you still want, especially for Lincoln Riley, like this is a program that is trying to go into 2023 as a national title contender, is very active in the portal, is trying to sell itself. I don't think losing to Tulane helps the sell. That said, take the over because nobody's getting any stops, and maybe that's what Lincoln Riley sells. Look at my defense. Please come save me. If you uh, if you care so far about what these conferences have done, East Carolina, their defense didn't look very good while McCall was in there, right? And then when he went out, they they got you know they got better. Cincinnati, it's hard to really handicap. I thought Louisville's the right side, but like Cincinnati had so many guys out, and they, their their coach left, right? So that's that's kind of a tough one. UCF looked terrible yesterday. And Memphis looked fine. I don't know how much we can learn from that. Uh, the Pac-12 so far. Oregon State looked great. Washington State did not look great. Obviously, they had a bunch of guys out. I I think Tulane's good, and I'm worried about the two offensive linemen out for USC. Mm. I think under is worth a look here, to be honest. It's like 63 now. I I could see this game being a little bit less than uh, than optimal. But, I mean, does this spread to you say that, that Caleb Williams was playing? Because I know at that youth event, I guess he said he was playing – I just have a hard time seeing this thing closing three or closing less than three if we see him out there in warm-ups. I know no Jordan Addison. I know I know no Brett Nealon at the center. I know no Voorhees. But you still get the best player in the sport, Caleb Williams. A lot of skill position talent there. I don't know, man. Like, Don't you think this closes three if he actually plays? I don't care. I'm taking Tulane either way. Yeah, I've yeah, seen, yeah. I've seen I, USC I, try to tackle. <clears throat> yeah, I think yeah, that I, this is um, Tajay Spears is really. Tajay, I was about to say yeah. Tajay Spears is going to run for a lot of yards. We <laughs> talk about Michael Pratt a lot. Yeah, we talk about Michael Pratt a lot, but Spears had thirteen hundred yards and fifteen touchdowns on the season. Um, I, I would not take the under. I think that like Tajay Spears and Caleb Williams, that is, those are touchdowns waiting to happen uh, at any moment. And I, I believe that Caleb Williams says he's going to play. I believe that Caleb Williams will play. But I could also see it being a situation where, like, that hammy all of a sudden aggravates. You know, we're sh- you know, we shut it down. You know, any very much like even the slightest inconvenience. Fingernail. Oh, sorry. Shutting it down. Stub your toe. Oh, sorry. Shutting it down. Um, so I, we'll see. I, I don't think that this line is a indicator of whether Caleb Williams will play. I think this line is an indicator of Tulane being able to have success. Tulane being able to have success against the Trojans. Yeah, give me the wave as well. All right, so that's at 1 o'clock. We go multiple screens on January 2nd. Love it. 12 p.m. for ReliQuest Bowl, Illinois-Mississippi State. 1 p.m. for USC Tulane. And 1 p.m. for... Uh, the Citrus Bowl, the cheese at Citrus Bowl, LSU and Purdue. LSU, this thing was around 10. It's danced all the way out to 14 and a half. Kayshawn Booty, Booty is gone. We get an announcement that uh, Kayshawn Booty will not be playing in the bowl game after he announced that he would play in the bowl game and that he was going to be back for 2023. Yay, good news for Brian Kelly. Then all of a sudden, he's not going to play in the bowl game, and then Kayshawn Booty announces on Twitter he's off to the NFL draft. So, there are still a handful, like literally four or five very, very talented wide receivers uh, in that LSU wide receiver room. And Booty himself didn't didn't have the most explosive uh, season 
for or at least especially compared to his 2021 numbers. So do we trust LSU to cover 14 and a half? I I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, I think that with all the opt-outs and with everybody out, I still think LSU talent-wise is the much better team in this game. But 14 and a half is a lot. But Purdue also does not have its coach. It's got, it's, I have no idea. This is a live bet game. I, I would still lay it at under 14, 14 and a half. I'll probably agree with Tom there. And, and I mean, just, just to refresh who's out, we already said O'Connell's out. That's a pretty damn good quarterback. He actually missed a game this year against FAU and the backup was not good. So that is a significant drop off. O'Connell is one of the better quarterbacks. I think in the big 10, uh, Drew, the running back still out. Kobe Lewis, one of the running backs at the transfer portal, Charlie Jones opted out. He had like more targets than in the entirety of Iowa's offense this year. So that, that one seems to matter. You have Brock Thompson and Elijah Cannon still out with injury. Payne Durham, their best tight end, opted out. Their best offensive lineman, Spencer Holstage, hit the portal. Uh, Greg Dur- uh, Hudgens, I think, also is – I think he's not playing. That's one of their deep linemen. Corey Trice opted out. Uh, I mean, they got a lot of dudes who – like important players are not playing for Purdue. And they also don't have Jeff Brom. His brother's calling the game, I think it is. So we'll see on that. I just think talent-wise, LSU has too much talent here. Like LSU has a couple guys out, sure, but their backups are are much more talented, I think, than Purdue's backups. Hundred percent, yeah. Mm-hmm. LSU, and finally the Rose Bowl, five o'clock p.m. Eastern time. Utah favored by two and a half against Penn State. Over under a fifty-two and a half. The Utes came up just short in a modern epic against Ohio State last season. Can Cam Rising and Utah get it done here against Penn State? No. Penn State. Alt-line. Ooh! Are you on that too, bud? Yeah. Penn State um, is a really good team. This it, opened like three and a half. I don't get it. it. Yeah, like I, I, They lost to Michigan and Ohio State, and they got blown out by Michigan, and they were competitive against Ohio State ended up losing by 13 like there was the season opening close win over Purdue which by the way went on to win the Big Ten West mm-hmm. and they blew everybody else out like this is a really good team I, I, I love Utah too everybody we talk plenty about Utah about how much we like it but like the Nittany Lions this is a sneaky awesome team this year it was just never in playoff consideration I also don't think that Utah runs the ball as well as people think they do Correct. And everybody is like, hey, look how well Michigan ran it on Penn State. I don't think it's the same thing, personally. So I think Penn State can go in there. And I think, honestly, like Penn State might be more excited to play in this game than Utah is overall. Utah was just here. Yeah. Like Clark Phillips is an L.A. kid, and he's opted out. That's the best corner for Utah. Like, If that doesn't tell you something, I'm – and also, who's betting against Sean Clifford in his final game? Come on. Kincaid also matters quite a bit. Like, I know yes. they have the tight end who, who was a, a big rugby or whatever player, uh, but Kincaid, it's a 16 target or 16 catches, I think it was, in the first game against USC. Like, he matters a heck of a lot. Penn State 2023 hype train begins in Pasadena. Wait, wait you rolling your eyes? 
just saying no, i'm agreeing with you i'm just thinking like we're not going to get any kind of value on them if, if, if they smoke utah especially if like drew lar comes in in the second half and plays really well it's oh, like oh god yeah. oh man that's that's like a you, you you scratch a dog's neck and you just his foot starts tapping so that's the Penn State fan when Drew Lars <laughs> dropping a dime to Parker Washington over a depleted Utah secondary in the Rose Bowl. Come on. Mm-hmm. We take Penn State for our best bet here on the Cover 3 podcast. Uh, so that's the 2023 hype train a little bit later on. But any, any final thoughts? What was your last score prediction for uh, the Knowles? Uh, I went 42-23. Oh, that covers the nine and a half. Easy alt line season. Let's yeah, go. <laughs> 2023 hype train for the Seminoles. National yeah, champion. Florida State, Penn State. National title game, 2023. <laughs> yeah, if there's any 37 or 37 and a half out there, team total wise for the Knowles, and you guys are still watching us in minute, uh, minute 64 of this show, I don't think those are going to last much longer, personally. Snap. Weather here today should be pretty nice. Uh, I'm actually here in Orlando for the Under Armour game. Uh, I know you probably hate to see this right now, but it's uh, it's 76. So yeah, It's 50 uh, degrees here. It's nice. But it feels like 73 yeah. with the wind chill. So. <laughs> are you going to the game? I am going to go, yeah. Okay. It's going to be a tight, tight uh, Are you sitting in the stands or the press box? I am not sitting When are you going to put um, your paint on? I'm sitting in a box, but not the press box. So, got, got ah. the here. when do you uh, start putting on the glitter paint? Actually, there is glitter on all these chairs. I don't know if they had like a cheerleading commission here or something <laughs> like that. But, like, I, I, I tucked into this like little like, like side room here just so I, I could get away from the big media scrum to do this hour. And like, I'm going to have glitter. Like, I tried to pick the chair that had the least glitter and just wipe it off. And <laughs> there's like, well, I mean, are you, you're not the first man to go to Florida and get glitter on himself and then have true. to go explain it to somebody. <laughs> Oh, man. So we will be back on Saturday night. That's right. Ring in the new year with the Cover 3 podcast, an instant reaction show to the college football playoff semifinals. Come and join us, youtube.com slash Cover 3. Plan is as close as we can to the end of the Peach Bowl between Georgia and Ohio State. As always, that time's a little bit flexible, and we do encourage you to uh, throw us up on the TV at your local New Year's Eve party or even like a bar or restaurant. Like, put us up on the screen. Forget whatever times this and downtown square. Let's let's do it with the Cover 3 podcast. Uh, we'll, we'll be ready for the occasion, and we'll be breaking down the college football playoff semifinals. And you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. See y'all. Bright shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo. Thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.